Hi everybody, this is the All Things That Go Bump in the Night podcast. I am your host, Kelly, and this week is going to be a little different. Um, I know a lot of podcasters are choosing to um, go black for the week where they don't upload anything, but um, I wanted to... I wanted to post this week to bring light to um, the issue of police brutality on people of color and the many black lives, not black lives, I'm sorry, um, the many lives who have been lost just due to the color of their skin. Um, We're going to cover George Floyd, Philandro Castile, Breonna Taylor, and Oscar um, uh, Oscar Grant, sorry. Um, and my views on where we need to be as a country and as humans. Um, please, uh, please listen to the whole, po- uh, the whole episode because this is a very, very important episode. I feel like this is something that really needs to be spoken about um, as it pertains to the U.S. and and where we are with everything that's going on. Um, Hi, Nikki. Um, So, you know, a lot of people don't know this, uh, except for my family and my close friends, but my son is biracial. He is Asian. Um... You know, I have Hispanic family members, I have black family members, and so this is something that is very, very important to me as not just a mother, but as a human being in general. Um, You know, I, I will start off with what happened with George Floyd, because that seems to be the biggest thing that's going on right now. It's the closest thing that's freshest in everybody's mind. Um... I watched the video. Um, I had to to watch it all, and it was it was hard. Um, this week has been very emotionally draining. It's I will probably cry this episode, so I apologize in advance. Um, just my heart is just breaking for every person of color in the world, but especially in the U.S. right now. Um, So, at this point in time, this, what happened to George Floyd, all of the protests that have been going on have been the biggest civil rights movement in the entire world to date, um, in all of history. We have had 50, every 50 state has had, um, has had protests, And then we've also had 18 other countries, including New Zealand, who have been protesting for the Black Lives Matter movement. So what exactly happened? I know a lot of people think they know what happened, and some people have been only going off of things that they've heard. Um, On May 25th uh, of this, of last month, so basically this year, a clerk of the um, Cup Foods convenience store called p- the M- Minneapolis police about a black man trying to use a counterfeit $20 bill. 
At 7.50 p.m., police showed up. Floyd was still across the street in his SUV with another person. Um, I've read different reports that said that it was two different people, three different people. It just, um, you know, but the one thing is that there was at least one other person in the SUV with him. So, um, at 8.10, a bystander parked behind George's SUV and began recording that exchange. And it seemed to go pretty normal for traffic exchange, or I mean, um, you know, exchanges with the police and everything. But after a few seconds, the officer was seen pulling George from the car to arrest him. Uh, about a minute later, um, hi, Zachariah. About a minute later, George was cuffed and sat on the ground up against the wall of the restaurant that they were parked in front of, which was across the street from the uh, Cup Foods convenience store. Um, but shortly thereafter, like not even a minute later, they picked George back up to his feet and escorted him across the street to their, uh, their police cruisers. And they placed him in the back of the officer's SUV. But as they appeared to place George against the cops, the, the squad car, uh, George appeared to fall before being picked back up and placed in the back of the squad car. It's still a little unclear as to why they pulled him out of the cop car. Um, uh, the bystanders were saying that he was complaining about being claustrophobic. Um, so they pulled him out and placed him on the stomach on the ground. When they tried placing George back into the squad car, a struggle ensued, um, ending with Officer Derek Chauvin placing a knee on the back of George's throat as he, or neck, sorry, not throat, as he was laying on the ground. Um, Hi, Rebecca. So, for almost nine minutes, Chauvin kept his knee there, despite George's pleas that he could not breathe. Um, at this point, Officer Thomas Lane was applying pressure to George's legs while Officer Alexander Quang was applying pressure to George's abdomen. Officer Tao Thu uh, stood by watching. Bystanders say that for five minutes, George pleaded with the officer 16 times that he could not breathe. At one point, one of the bystanders told the officers, um... You got him down, let him breathe. So at about 8.20 p.m., George told Chauvin that he was about to die. Chauvin asked him what he wanted, and George said, Please, the knee in my neck, I can't breathe. At about 8.22, the officers called for a non-emergency ambulance. One bystander said that George was not resisting arrest, um, to which Thou, Thou responded, He's talking, he's fine. This amazing bystander then began calling them out, calling these officers out, saying that they were enjoying, uh, that they were enjoying this, that their body language was basically saying it all. 
When George called for help, Thou told bystanders, this is why you don't buy drugs, kids. Even though they were not responding to a drug call, they were, call, they were responding to a fake, counter, you know, a counterfeit $20 bill. By 8.25, George became unresponsive. The bystanders yelled at the cops to check him, so Quang Dig did, but he was unable to find a pulse. He asked Chauvin to put him on his side, which, as um, in first aid training, you'd know that if a person passes out or anything like that, you're supposed to lay them on their side with one leg bent and over the rest of the body, with a head, an arm underneath their head and their arm, their other arm over their body. So he asked if they should put him in the um, recovery position is what it's called. Chauvin said no, would not remove his knee, and refused to upgrade the ambulance call to an emergency. At 827, um, a Hennepin County ambulance arrived and looked for a pulse. Chauvin kept his knee pressed into George's neck for almost another minute before EM, or after EMTs arrived. From the time he placed his knee into George's neck to when it was removed, it, 8 minutes and 46 seconds had passed. According to the Minneapolis Fire Department uh, records, the reason it took so long for EMTs to arrive on the scene was because the officers gave no clear information on where they were even at. So they were driving around trying to find where these officers were. George was pronounced dead at 9.25 p.m. at the Hennepin County Medical Center. Originally, the officers were not punished for George's death. Obviously, it's still ongoing, but um, that was when basically Minneapolis began the protests. It was a clear case of not just murder, but a hate crime and police brutality, and it seemed to be the tipping point for our country. With the help of the entire nation, justice will hopefully be seen. On May 29th, Derek Chauvin was arrested and charged with third-degree murder and second-degree manslaughter. Not only does that mean that he is facing up to 12 years in prison, but he was the first white officer in Minnesota to be charged with the death of a black citizen. Under Minnesota, Minnesota law, third-degree murder is defined as causing another's death without, without intent to kill, but evidencing a depraved mind without regard for human life. On May 30th, um, Minnesota Attorney General Keith Ellison took over the case uh, just yesterday, Ellison amended those charges to include second-degree murder, which carries a higher maximum sentence of 150 months in prison. Ellison also charged Alex Quang, Tao Thu, and Thomas Lane with aiding and abetting second-degree murder. Um, there's been a lot of, you know, a lot of misinformation put out about what happened it has sent you know it's since been found out that the t fake $20 bill was not actually fake to begin with um people say that he had meth and fentanyl in his system but that is not what the um 
the toxicology report hasn't even come back yet, so I don't know where they're getting that information. Um, the other thing, too, was that people are saying that he was a violent criminal. He did have a violent past, um, but according to his family, he was, since he had been released from prison, he was trying to be on the straight and narrow. And the fact that they murdered him over something that turned out not even to be true is, is just, it's reprehensible. It's horrible. Um, the other thing too that I, I saw was that the first coroner basically gaslit, um, George, the, the death of George. Basically they were saying that what, what happened was not, um, it wasn't, his death was not caused by the, um, by the, the knee to the neck, you know, it was a heart condition, but these, they ended up getting a second coroner, which I think was the best thing that they could have done because that second coroner was able to say, no, this was not caused by a heart condition. He died from, I think it was called a proximal asphyxiation. And even, even though he was able to speak, with the type of asphyxiation that he died from, you can still speak when you can't breathe. And so I think that's going to play a very big part in the proceedings of Chauvin and the other officers. Um, but I, I'm really, really hoping that these officers are charged in to the highest extent that they legally can. Um, it's, it's not okay. It was not okay at all. Hi, Darlene. Or, Rose. Sorry. Hi, Rose. So, as I said, though, the murder of George Floyd was just the tipping point. 26% of civilians who are killed by police every year are African Americans, even though they only account for 12% of the U.S. population. That means that 1 in 1,000 black men are murdered by police every year, but only 39 out of 100,000 white men are murdered by police every year. Um, Breonna Taylor is another black person who was murdered just this year. Um, this is one that has not really been talked about very much, and I, I don't understand why, but... I feel like she, we need to get her story out there just as much as George Floyd, you know, George Floyd's or Trayvon Martin or Philandro Castile, you know, her story is just as important. Um, so on March 13th of this year, 26-year-old Brianna was shot eight times in her own home in Louisville, Kentucky. Police Sergeant Jonathan Mattingly, Detective Brett Hankinson, Hankison, and Detective Miles Cosgrove executed a no-knock warrant on Brianna's home in plain clothes. So basically what happened was they broke down the door, and it was the middle of the night, so Brianna was sleeping. Her boyfriend thought that the home was being burglarized, so he grabbed his gun that he legally owned. He was not a criminal. He was not... You know, he had a license to own these guns. Um, 
they he opened fire thinking, you know, my home is being broken into, not knowing that these were police officers. So the police shot back and shot 20 rounds into the house. And eight of those rounds hit Brianna in her hallway, killing her. Um, so her boyfriend, Kenneth Walker, you know, he, he, uh, he was able to shoot one of the officers once. I shouldn't say was able. He shot one of the officers once. That made it seem like I'm condoning it. I'm not. Um, shot the officer once. But other than that, that was that, basically. Um, so, Mattingly, though, which was the officer that was shot, he survived. Uh, they were executing a warrant because Kenneth's car was seen on multiple occasions at the home of two people in police custody, excuse me, who were being investigated for selling a controlled substance. So they automatically assumed that, you know, drugs would be found in Brianna's home. Uh, despite there being none, Kenneth was arrested for shooting at officers and injuring Mattingly. None of the officers were charged. Uh, despite Brianna and Kenneth being innocent and officers were in street clothing, basically breaking into their home, uh, they found no drugs. Kenneth was a licensed gun owner and officers, you know, fired 20 rounds into the home. On May 15th, Brianna's family did file a wrongful death suit. And on May 21st, the FD FBI announced that they would be conducting an investigation into her death. Um, it's, it's just sad because she was, you know, she was like, what? I think I said 20, 22, 26. Um, I forgot where I was. Sorry, I'm trying to find my place. I don't, oh yeah, she was 26, and she was an emergency room technician. Um, so, I mean, she, she did good with her life. She was making a difference, and she was taken for no reason. There were, there were no drugs there. They were in plain clothes. Why, why were they in, you know, plain clothing executing a search warrant? That does not sit well with me at all. Shelly Huckabee, uh, yes, so they, her question was, did, did you just say they shot back, meaning he shot first? He did, because he did not know these were officers. He thought his home was being burglarized. So he was fearful for their lives, and didn't, he didn't know that they were police. They did not announce themselves. Um, the cops are saying that they did, but the neighbors of Brianna did say that they never stated who they were. All they heard was all of a sudden banging on the door and then, um, and then gunfire. Um, it wasn't until after Brianna had been shot that they were like, we're cops, we're cops, you know. I can see where the concern was, but not being in uniform or having an off any officer there in uniform, even undercover, if pulled over cops have to ha call a marked unit those cops are what incident on that incident were wrong and were probably and probably undercover. Plus, they have to announce. Yeah, that's the thing. They did not announce themselves at all. Um, 
it, it's just wrong. It's completely wrong. And it makes me sick. Um, but, oh, what did I do? What did I do? There we go. Um, doo -doo -doo. so this one, this one was the hardest one for me to cover. Um, it's the case of Philandro, Philandro Castile. Um, I remember when all of this happened. It happened in, on July 6th, 2016. Um, he, Philandro Castile was driving through um, St. Paul, Minnesota at about 9 p.m. with his girlfriend Diamond Reynolds and their four-year-old daughter. Um, they were uh, ended up being pulled over by Officer Geronimo Yanez for a burnt-out taillight, of all things. Um, there's two different videos about what happened, or not what happened, but um, the video that I watched basically condensed the two videos that I watched into one. So one was the dash cam footage, and then one was the... Um, the Facebook Live that Diamond had started when Philandro was shot. Um, the dash cam footage was the first one. The That was the first time I'd seen it was earlier this evening. Um, but I did see the, the Facebook Live that Diamond had put out, you know, after he had been shot. Um, but... Um, so, anyways, when asked for his driver's license, Philandro informed the officer that he did have a concealed carry license and a gun in the car with him. Um, the officer repeatedly told him, don't reach for it. And he kept telling the officer, I'm not reaching for it. I'm not getting it. And he just kept yelling at him, don't reach for your gun. Don't grab your gun. And he's like, I'm not. I'm just trying to get my driver's license like you asked. And the officer um, ended up shooting him seven times at close range with his girlfriend and their four-year-old daughter in the car. And he hit him five times. And in the Facebook Live, you literally just watch Philandro die. And it's just really heartbreaking because he wasn't doing anything. And the entire time, like, their four-year-old daughter got out of the car. Uh, Yanez was with another officer. And their four-year-old daughter got out of the car and went to the other officer. And the off Yanez yelled at him, you know, take the baby girl away. But the entire time as Philandro was dying... Diamond was basically, like, very respectful to the officer. Um, you know, he, he kept saying, don't reach for it, don't reach for it towards her. And she's, she had her hands up. She's like, I'm not reaching for it. Uh, I'm not reaching for it, sir. Like, the whole time she's referring to him as sir. She's being very respectful, you know. Um, it's just hard. I cannot imagine what that family must have felt like watching him die and there being nothing that you can do because you're not allowed to move. Um, but, um, sorry. So basically, Philandro died at 9.57 p.m. 
at the Hennepin County Medical Center, which was the same hospital that George Floyd was pronounced dead at. Um, also, reason why body cams are enforced now, and it turned out when talking to you, they are written up for, and at that point, with gun in the car, they should have pulled him out of the car to get the gun and then let him back in the car. See, that would have been the smart thing to do, but there's so many officers that don't turn on their body cams, even though they're supposed to be wearing it, they don't. That's the problem. Or not that they don't wear it, it's that they don't activate it. They just, I, um, so there were protests and riots after Philandro's death as well. And five months later, Yanez was charged with second-degree manslaughter and two counts of dangerous discharge of a firearm. After, but after five days of deliberation, Yanez was acquitted but was fired from the police department. Philandro, or Destiny and Philandro's mother filed a wrongful death suit and were awarded $3.8 million. Um, the other video that I watched today, too, was... Um, from Trevor Noah. I don't know if anybody watches the Noah report or whatever it's called. Um, but basically he shared, he played the video of it and, you know, he was like the amount of restraint it must have taken her to act so calm under pressure, you know, as being in so much fear, you know, that says so much about what we as a, because Trevor Noah is black, what we as a, as a race have to deal with, you know, we are taught from a very early age that when a cop talks to you, you keep your hands up, you be very respectful, you don't egg them on, um, you let them know, hey, I have a gun, and even in sometimes, even then, you still end up getting murdered. Um, so, Oscar Grant was an unarmed man. He was 22 years old and was shot in the back by a white officer in Oakland, California um, on New Year's Day in 2009. While on a train returning from San Francisco, basically somebody had seen Oscar and that uh, I think she was, uh, the guy was like um, Oscar's girlfriend's ex. Um, but basically they got into a bit of a fight, but it ended really quickly. Nobody really got hurt, but the, um, train conductor basically let them know, Hey, the cops are going to be at the next station. Nobody get off the train. So, um, officer Anthony Perone and Johannes Messerle. Um, they, they were the officers that responded. So police detained Oscar, but Oscar can be heard, you know, telling his friends to be cooperative, to be cooperative with the officers, you know, be respectful. And there's multiple different videos from different people on that plane or plane, that train showing what had happened. But, um... Basically, the police ended up detaining Oscar, and one, uh, Officer Perone began to knee Oscar in the head. 
Um, Oscar never resisted. He did not do anything. He sat up at one point off of the ground, but he did not try to get up off the ground. He wasn't resisting arrest, nothing. The officers were standing up at that point. Like, um, he was not being threatening in any way whatsoever. But the officers then ended up putting him on his stomach on the ground before uh, Messerl pulled out his gun and shot Oscar in the back. He was literally just laying there and they shot him in the back for nothing. At this point, everyone on the bus was, you know, watching and recording everything that had went down on their cell phones. Oscar was rushed to Highland Hospital in Oakland where he was pronounced dead later that day. On January 30th, 2010, Masurl was charged with second-degree murder. Masurl did resign from his job and pled not guilty. The trial began June 10th, 2010 with Masurl being found guilty of involuntary manslaughter and not guilty of murder or voluntary voluntary manslaughter, which I don't get that because he willingly took out his gun and shot a man, an unarmed man who was on his stomach on the ground. He literally shot him in the back. I I don't, I, I just don't understand how that happens. Um, especially because he pled not guilty. It's not like they had a plea deal where they, you know, if you... The way plea deals work, you know, if you say, um, you know, uh, if you plead guilty, we'll get you for a lesser charge. That's not what happened. He pled not guilty and was found guilty. So I just don't get it. But on November 5th, he was sentenced to two years in prison minus time served. On June 13th, 2011, he was released on parole after serving only 11 months. In 2011, Oscar's daughter and mother were awarded $2.8 million for a wrongful death suit, which, in my opinion, was a slap in the face to not just Oscar, but to Oscar's family, because they uh, the suit was for $25 million. Um... But, I mean, these are just three people, three people who, for no reason other than their skin, that were murdered due to police brutality, you know, there, and that's not even counting the, I mean, there's thousands more and hundreds of thousands since the, you know, inception of the United States. Um, I think, you know... There needs to be major changes in the police force. And before, you know, people come at me saying that there's only a few bad apples in the bunch, I think Chris Rock said it best. Um, I know it's hard being a cop, but some jobs can't have bad apples. Everybody has to be good, like pilots. American Airlines can't be like most of our pilots like to land, but some ju- some are just bad apples that like to crash into the mountains. And I think that is very 
I think that's very eloquently put. I've been saying it from the beginning, you know. I'm not against our police. I am against police brutality, and I think that it is up to the, you know, good police to put their foot down when they see racism and say, this is not okay. We cannot have officers like this on our force. If you can't be a good police officer and view people as human beings and not just see the color of their skin, then you have no place in our force. Um, but, you know, we, we still, we still have to, what is the word I'm trying to look for? Um, you know, even, even with the police force, forces, you know, putting their foot down, it's going to take a lot of time and, and effort and reform. And we as white people, you know, we need to do our part to make, because clearly at this point in time, black people of color, you know, their voices are not being heard and they haven't been heard for a very long time. So we, I know everybody hates the term white privilege, but we need to use our white privilege for the greater good, you know, and, and I know with white privilege, you know, it's not one thing that I hear constantly with white privilege is, well, I live in a trailer park. Where's my white privilege? White privilege isn't about money. It's not about anything. What it's about is as a white person, as a white woman, when I get pulled over by a cop, this is the best analogy that I can think of. When I get pulled over by a cop, the only thing that's going through my mind is, is I'm getting a ticket, how I'm going to pay for it. I don't have to fear that I'm going to be arrested or shot, you know, or beat up on or anything like that because of the color of my skin. I don't fear for my life when I get pulled over by a cop, you know, and it, it's, it's sad that I didn't realize, I didn't realize how prevalent police brutality towards people of color were until the past probably two years. You know, when I was younger, I will admit, I never understood the Black Lives Matter. I always agreed with the whole all lives matter, you know, and as I'm getting older, you know, I, as I said at the beginning of this episode, I am a mother to a biracial child. I have Hispanic family members. I have black family members. I myself am indigenous. I am half Native American, you know, but I just, I look white. I'm very pale skinned and I'm very th fortunate for that. But, you know, seeing my, my black friends post or my mulatto friends post or, you know, my Hispanic family and friends post, you know, it's, I didn't realize how heartbreaking and how scary it must be to be a person of color. Um, it's, it's scary, you know, it's, it's not, it's not a great time. And, you know, I know we've come a long way since Martin Luther King's time and everything, but at the same time, we, we still have a very long way to go, you know, in, in order to, 
In order for all lives to matter, black lives have to matter first. Hispanic lives have to matter first. Asian lives, Muslims, Arabs, indigenous people. Every person who is treated as less than because of their skin color. We need to stick up for them. We need to be the voice for them to get them the change that they deserve. Because otherwise, if if we continue to if we continue to go down the path that we're going now, we are going to have a lot more police brutality. You know, complacency is just as bad as racism, in my in my opinion. You know, we cannot be complacent when it comes to civil rights. You know, civil rights. That's the word I'm, yeah. We can't be complacent when it comes to civil rights. We have to, you know, it's, it's like my trans friends. I worry for my trans friends because when people find out that my, my female trans friend, you know, was born a male, you know, I worry that they're going to get beat up. I'm worried that they're going to be murdered. And it's the same with my Hispanic family and my, you know, um, my black family, my black friends, you know, it's, it's, it's just that. And we, we need to just do our, all of our, we all need to do our part towards making these big changes. We, you know, and, and I want to be that person to be able to say that I contributed to good, that I contributed to making people's lives better instead of, you know, just being quiet about everything. All right, I think this is going to be it for the night, guys. Um, this was a very, very hard episode for me to do. Um, as a mother to a biracial child, you know, he may not be black, but there is still racism towards Asians and Hispanics and Muslims and, um, and obviously to people of color in general. Um, we see the racism out there. We're taking a stand to say that this is not okay. Um, I want everybody to think, when you're spouting things on Facebook, when you're saying all lives matter, or blue lives matter, or this or that, and you're trying to ta- detract from the Black Lives Matter, pod- uh, Black lives matter movement, I want you to think how your posts and your words are being viewed from your people of color, like your your black relatives, your black friends, your Hispanic friends, your Asian friends, you know, every single person who is not white. We need to think about how they are viewing your words because there is so much systemic racism still deeply ingrained in people and I don't think people really realize just how subtle their racism is but it is exactly that it is still racism and we cannot put up with that we need to actively try to be better we need to actively try to make things better because at this point in time Black people's voices are not being heard. 
it is going to take all of us coming together to get our voices heard. And that is what the Black Lives Matter movement is truly about. All lives cannot matter until black lives matter. Um, but I think that's where I'm going to end it this week. My heart, break is, my heart breaks for everybody. My heart, I, I'm at a loss of words. I, I'm very emotionally exhausted. Um, my heart is here for you all. No matter what race, gender, sexual identity, religion, whatever, you all are human to my eyes, and I will never see you for your color. I will only see you for who you are on the inside, and that is what we all should strive to see. <sighs> all right. Have a wonderful week, guys.